uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, in those first 13 verses that we, that I said we'd be looking at tonight as we um, come to the second chapter of, of Acts and the, the story of, of the day of, of Pentecost and its, and its effects. Let me say a short word of prayer and then we'll look at our passage for tonight. Let us pray. Oh, blessed God, we come before you uh, in your word tonight. Um, thanking you that you are the God who um, pours out the spirit of Jesus Christ uh, so that we can truly understand the things of God so that our hearts may be lifted from the weight of this earth and released to the fellowship Um, of heaven, and we trust that you are near us, that you are speaking to us. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, reveal yourself to our hearts and fill us with your your knowledge, fill us with the truth of Christ. Help me, O Father, to preach your word and to teach the word faithfully and carefully. Uh, Be be, be magnified tonight, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, we come to the the day of Pentecost uh, and at least in, in modern Christianity, the, the subject of, of Pentecost has been one of the most controversial at points, but also one of the most significant subjects for the church to consider, or, or one of the most significant subjects when it comes to thinking through um, the, the subject of the church. We, we had to cancel our retreat, our church retreat, and the, uh, for this year, right? Is, is it the second year we canceled it in a row? Yeah, cancelled it two years in a row, and um, if we had had a retreat, we'd have been looking at the subject of the church. We, will, we still will, God willing, and uh, for a second time, we would have been looking at the subject of the church. And one of the things we would have been, in fact, the theme would have been Pentecost, just thinking through Pentecost, because of this, the huge ramifications that the understanding of Pentecost has for the life of the church today. So it's no exaggeration to say that some of the most significant uh, divisions, if you want, and the significant differences that exist within, amongst evangelical believers today, uh, stems from significant differences on how we understand uh, Pentecost. Now, of course, uh, a a body of believers have, that that we, you know, referring to, refers to their denomination as, 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 as Pentecostalism, and you know, denominations are a sad thing. It's a sad thing that we have to have these, any label beside one that just ref- reflects the fact that we are united in Christ, but it is what it is. Um, well, it's not, it's not is what it is, but you know, it, it is what it is, and we're, we, we have to, to manage the situations we're in, and um, Pentecost, we, we refer to a group of Christians as Pentecostal Christians, and um, Pentecostalism in, in modern church history um, ha- ha- has caused the church to really reflect on its understanding of Pentecost. And uh, true to the name, Pentecostalism is, is, is an attempt by a group of believers to, to suggest that the church has to powerfully recover the message of Pentecost and, and that, um, you know, for, for, for significant points in the church's history, it had failed to do that. It hadn't appreciated the, the, the role, the centrality of Pentecost in the life 
of the church today. Well, when we assess the claims of Pentecostalism and so on, we, we may be inclined to suggest at points that may, maybe there's been an overstatement or, or, or misinterpretation of how to apply um, Pentecost to the church and to Christians today. What is significant though is that we are very, quite clearly, just with an eye test, are not, are not a Pentecostal church. If you've been to, to a Pentecostal church, if you've seen a church that claims, a church, uh, a Pentecostal church that, that's claiming that what it's doing is maintaining the spirit of Pentecost, as we see here, you would see that just on the face of it, it radically differs or there's, yeah, there's radical differences as to how what, what maybe what worship would look like um, and to what worship, you know, in, the, in, the, in, the, in those settings and, and what it looks like here or what church life looks like or certain church practices. And those differences flow from the fact that genuine Christians have read Acts chapter two, for example, but, but, but quite significantly, they've read Acts chapter two in a certain way They've read it, they've applied it in a certain way, and as I say, it's, it's, it leads to radical differences in approach to ministry. And so that's just some indication that these verses are quite important, they're quite central, and whether we agree with the conclusions that our Pentecostal brothers and sisters come to or not, um, they're certainly right in suggesting that this passage is vital for the life of the church. It's important about, it's important as far as understanding the nature of the church. And Luke will, would agree with that. Luke, Luke is, Luke, Luke I, you read the book of Acts and it's clear that when it comes to chapter two um, and, and the day of Pentecost, you come to a, a, a kind of watershed moment in the book. You come to a, 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 a one of the key events, if not the key event in the book of of Acts because of its importance, uh, because of its testimony to, um, to, uh, um, the, the, to what the church is and what the church is to become and what God is doing in, in the church. Uh, so so it, it's, it, it's important for us to, to, to get a grip of Pentecost, to uh, the day of Pentecost, I mean, to, to understand the role it's meant to play um, in the life and faith of the church, to, to know how to apply it and explain it, to grapple with the difficult points of the text. Uh, and that's what we will do, God willing, over the coming next few evenings. Um, the, 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 the chapter itself, chapter two, that details um, Pentecost is actually majorly uh, concerned with Peter's preaching. So the, 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 the largest part of, the, of chapter two is Peter's preaching which is an explanation of those first 13 verses I read, an explanation of the events that Luke initially narrates and says this is what takes place. Uh, and then there's a significant portion um, leading up to about verse 38 or something where Peter is just explaining the significance of this. He's just explaining the significance of Pentecost. And then um, yeah, Peter goes on um, in, in verse, and then there's the, there's the response, yes, from, from verse 37 onwards, the, the response of, of Peter's audience um, uh, uh, to his preaching, they're convicted by the preaching, um, and, and so Peter's sermon, used by the Spirit, issues out in a, uh, you know, a conversion of, of 3,000 plus or so, um, and then that chapter closes with 
you know, a, a Pentecostal church, a church that is, um, that is feeling and living in the effects of the, 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 the Spirit of God, the Pentecostal Spirit of God, and um, the closing verses of, of chapter 2 um, tell us uh, about the uniqueness of the fellowship. Interestingly, it, it gives you a sense, it, it mirrors, uh, just, just in, in, in bits, the, the, the snapshot we got of the church in chapter one, I was preaching this same way last Lord's Day evening about how we, we saw the church in, in prayer and in unity and so on. And um, in, a, in a far more intensified form now, we, we get another snapshot, another, um, we're invited to see uh, what, what the church looks like now, now when it's empowered by the Spirit, those things that mark uh, the church of God. So that's the, those are the, the significant sections of chapter two is the detailing of Pentecost, uh, Peter's preaching and the response of the audience, you know, the, 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 this, this sweeping revival, if you want, almost, and then uh, Luke's testimony to uh, what the church, the church empowered by the Spirit was, was, was looking like and what, what they were doing. Um, but this evening, then, we spend our time on the details, the details of that event. So Luke gives us quite a straightforward, if amazing, um, and it's meant to be, anyhow, detail, uh, detailing of uh, narration of what took place on the day of Pentecost. W- what did it look like? What happened when God was going to bring to pass the promises, uh, the promise that Jesus Christ had made to his disciples earlier in chapter one? That we read the promise of the baptism of the Spirit. This is it. This is it. This is what it looks like when God, when, God, when Christ promised them. Um, that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit, when Jesus Christ promised them that they would receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. This was the, um, this is the, this is what it looked like. This is the retelling of what it looked like. And um, again, this is a good place to say that uh, there's, there's, and I think I said this last, last week, there's, there's varied, um, varied language that is used to describe the, 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 the coming of the Spirit, the, the presence of the Spirit in the lives of his people. Um, we've already seen in, in just in the first chapter that, you know, he can, it, there's a baptism of the Spirit in, first, in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1. In, 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 in verse 8, it's, it's a Spirit that he comes upon you, he's poured out upon you. Um, later on in the book of Acts, it, it'd be a filling of the Spirit. And although there might be varied emphases at, the, at points here, essentially they, they, they usually are referring to the same thing, the, the, the effect of the Spirit's presence in one's life um, and, the, you know, and, and the different things that the Spirit accomplishes in the life of, of, of believers. That's going to be very important to, to, to maintain as we read on because some of the big errors that come when we think about the work of the Spirit is sometimes saying too much about particular terminology, suggesting that particular t- terminology means far more than it, than it should. Um, but anyhow, Luke tells a straightforward story that when the day of Pentecost had come, uh, they were all gathered in one place. So this is how the Spirit of God was poured, about, poured out upon the church. It's, he, Luke doesn't tell us um, if they were in the same place uh, that we left them in chapter one, if they were in the same upper room. It doesn't tell us how long had... Um, gone since they chose Matthias to be an apostle, but they were all gathered in one place, is what he tells us. They were gathered in one place on the day of Pentecost. 
Now, um, Pentecost was the Greek term for, the word itself means something like 50 days, Greek term for um, uh, um, the, uh, a, a, a Hebrew festival, a parallel Hebrew festival, Jewish festival. One of the major th uh, Jewish festival, uh, festivals of the Old Testament, one of the major, one of three major yearly festivals. Obviously there was other festivals, festivals that took place you know, um, maybe every seven years or every three years. But one of the major, major three, um, th uh, three festivals that took place every year in the Jewish calendar was, was Pentecost. And Pentecost uh, took place after Passover um, and usually referred to uh, by the Jews as to the Feast of Weeks, right? Was how it would be, it'd be referred to. Um, and Basically, it was called, it's called Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks because it took place about 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after Passover, this feast took place. And what they were to do, 50 days after fast, um, Passover, one of the things, major things they were meant to do was to you know, collect the first fruits and, and bring a harvest to, to basically uh, thank the Lord. And so um, it's possible that the indication that we're to get from this happening on the day of Pentecost was, you know, this was the first fruits of um, God's work in the church through the Spirit. You know, those, those 3,000 souls become the first fruits of God's promise to continue to add to his church. Uh, we can't be precise. I, I, I'll, I'll say in a moment how I think we can, what we can be almost certain of us as far as what the imagery is concerned, but it is interesting it's clearly rooted in, in biblical, in our own familiarity with the Bible, that this happens on this day, this particular day of Pentecost. Now they were gathered together in a room, um, and suddenly there came um, there came this violent wind. And I'll, I'll say it now. We'll say it later. Very important. Very, uh, very, very important to notice Luke's almost imprecision with the with these um, phenomena he's about to mention. So there's three forms of phenomena. And it's, it's really important to notice that there's a certain imprecision with Luke. And so he says, there came from heaven a sound like a violent wind. So he, never is he very precise. You know, we assume that we say, oh, there was a wind, but he doesn't actually, he says he was like one. There's a sound like a wind that was heard. It filled the room where they were sitting. Same thing, he says, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. So the first phenomenon is wind, the second one is, is fire. Divided tongues as a fire appearing to them and resting on every single one of them. Right, again, we, we always assume that we say there was fire on the day of Pentecost appearing on everyone's head. And, but what Luke says is, divided tongues as, as a fire. They were like fire. They appeared to be like fire. Because Luke is clearly stating, again, this is, and I'll make this point later on, that this is, a, this is the kind of supernatural event that he's, is beyond his ability to clearly explain. There's great mystery here. God was at work in a divine way. So the second phenomenon is how God allowed fire to be present. Um, and then the third, third phenomenon is... Um, the spirits coming upon them so that they, 
they spoke in other tongues. It, the, 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 the Spirit's filling them. The Holy Spirit opened their mouths to speak these other languages. Right? The, the Spirit literally, the, the Spirit gave them utterance. He gave them the ability to speak different languages. Um, and that's, the, that, that's the, the account of how the Spirit first moves among the people. This, then then, then the, the closing, the next few verses really deal with how the Lord moves his people from being inwards among themselves and, and begins to move them outside. He moves them out to, um, to, to the community. He moves them out to uh, the neighborhood. Uh, now, the time when this happened, because it was a festival time, there were gathered loads of, 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 of Jewish folk, um, but in particular, Jews in diaspora, Jews who they had come home, come back to Jerusalem. Perhaps they were living in Jerusalem now. But many of them had come from colonies outside Jerusalem. Um, and so what you had were folks who were Jewish, but who were also conversant in, in, in the languages of, if you want, their, their colonizers. Uh, and so they come uh, because it's this Jewish festival. And, it's a, and God, of course, then particularly chooses this time. And the reason why God chooses this time is so that he can uh, display this this, this amazing thing, this, this wonder, this miracle to the Jews of, of this particular group of Christians, all Galileans, so they, 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 they all don't actually naturally speak the languages they're declaring, uh, but then they start to, by the power of the Spirit, the miraculous power of the Spirit, they're speaking uh, um, all these languages, um, and these folks say, we can, we can hear them speak in our native languages. Now, by their parents, we just knew, we, we knew they shouldn't be speaking this way. So it'd be like, um, it'd be like if I, I had gone to, um, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I went to, uh, say, I went to Finland tomorrow, and I was in Finland, and uh, I, I went there, and I'm expecting that in Finland, if I went to a church, there'd be predominantly a white church, and I got there, and there's loads of white, white Finnish folk there, and they, you know, they, they, they don't speak, maybe, yeah, they speak English here and there, but that's not even their language, but then all of a sudden, the whole service is in Yoruba. I'm Nigerian, and they're speaking Yoruba, and they're speaking fluent Yoruba, and it's clear, and the accent is on point. Now, I know people who are actually Yoruba here who don't have, who can't speak Yoruba or have the accent, no shots, I'm just saying. Now, imagine I'm there, and that's happening, I'm like, what is this? Like, what tribe is this? So these folks, these Galilean Jews, they, you could tell who they, you could, you, you, could you, you know where they're from by their parents. There's things about the way they speak. Uh, sim- this happens with, with Peter, when Peter's trying to deny Jesus Christ, and the, the maid is like, I can tell from your voice though, bro, that you've been, uh, I can tell where you're from. And um, the same thing. They, they know these folks shouldn't be speaking these languages, but they are. So it's apparent to those who hear it that this is, this is a work of God. And they're, they're saying things about the mighty deeds of God. I think we're safe to assume that the mighty deeds of God, of God they're, they're, they're proclaiming is, is, is what God has done in saving sinners through Jesus Christ. Um, and the, the, the verse, uh, these verses close with telling us that, uh, telling us the twofold reaction of those folks who say, wow, this is amazing. You know, like, what's actually happening? This is perplexing. This is, this is an act of God. And then some folks who say, no, they're just drunk. Like, I don't know what's wrong with them. They're out of their minds type thing. So, yeah, it's a straightforward narrative. And um, much of its punch comes from 
Peter's own preaching, and, and, and which breaks down and explains in far more detail um, than I will do tonight now, um, the significance of those acts, of, of the act of Pentecost. But for our purposes this evening, um, I want to draw your attention just to three things about that, that, are, that I think are, are present just in the reading of those details. Three things that already begin to uh, present themselves to us, even though, of course, every single one of this heading needs to be developed further by reading Peter's exposition and explanation of it. Uh, but, but three things, and, and, and so that help us to answer the question, what comes to mind when we read the details of Pentecost? What assumptions, what should we be concluding? Uh, and maybe might hint at what is the source of, or, or the cause of errors that are made in how sometimes Christians apply Pentecost to the church today because we're maybe ignoring Luke's purposes. What is Luke doing is the question when he's writing this historical detail. You see, so Luke is not writing in a vacuum. He's telling you this is what I saw, this is what happened. What's he, what's, what, what, what is he trying to achieve? What's he trying to um, reassure us about? What does he want to affirm? Um, and three things. Firstly, then, that there is a fulfillment of a promise, fulfillment of a promise to the church. This is the account of the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus Christ made to his disciples earlier on in chapter one, that he would pour out his spirit upon the church. It's, it's the fulfillment of the promise made by the risen, ascended Christ, that this would be one final work he would do before his return. That's the context, it's unmissable, right? It's the context in which this takes place. You can say that without even paying particular attention to the details, but it's worthwhile paying attention to the details because what that would show us is that actually, not merely does Luke draw our attention to the fact that this is the fulfillment of, um, of, of promises that Jesus Christ made, you know, just a few months before perhaps to the disciples in chapter one, but actually that the promises Jesus Christ is making are promises that God had planned before the foundation of the world. Uh, promises that run right through God's plan for salvation. That's why uh, we, we sang the, the, the words in the hymn that our sister Joyce was just singing to us. Um, God from eternity had willed that all flesh his salvation would see. So one thing that Luke shows us in his narrating of the account of Pentecost is the deep Old Testament roots of these promises. Of, of, of the thing that's taking place. The things that are taking place in Acts chapter two show us that this is God's, the fulfillment of God's plan for salvation from the very beginning. If we're to, if we're to seek understanding for these images that are not immediately explained by Luke, their reference point immediately to anyone who's, a, who's familiar with the, with, with the Bible, their reference point is is, 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 is God's revelation in the Old Testament. Okay, so, uh, so, so, and you see that in, 
already you know the first one is when the day of Pentecost arrived. By the way, the, the, the language of arrival is a language of fulfillment. When the day, when it came for the day of Pentecost to be fulfilled, it arrived. The time had come for God to fulfill his promises. So there was a, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fulfillment thing happening here in Pentecost. So something's being fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost, I already said this earlier, Pentecost is reference to a, a Jewish festival that Moses uh, initiated for the people of Israel. So again, we, we, we see how uh, we're, we're being drawn to God's plan for salvation uh, in, 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 in the Old Testament. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and then the next thing is the, 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 uh, the images, the signs. Uh, so it's, it's, again, it's, it's, we have to be very careful in not trying to, in not saying to, what the Bible doesn't say about these signs, but if we're to ask ourselves, what's the, what's the, what's the purpose of the mighty rushing wind? What's the purpose of the, the fire? Why like a fire? Why, why, why a mighty rushing wind? Uh, there's many, there's other things we can say. What we can say though is, the, the, the foundation for understanding these things has to be the old, the scriptures and the, and the Old Testament describing of the presence of God. So, so I read from Ezekiel chapter 37 where clearly the presence of God there is like a, a breath and in, 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 the, in, 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 in Hebrew, the words for breath and, and, and wind are, are, are sometimes interchangeable. So when you see the mighty rushing wind, a Jewish reader is, is hearing the Old Testament. He's, seeing, he's, he's hearing how much in the Old Testament God is described as a powerful wind. He's, he's hearing how much in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit is described as a wind. Same thing with fire. Fire is reminiscent of the, the very presence of God. Now, now, if we take it from John the Baptist who says that he, Jesus Christ will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, when John, when John the Baptist says that, he's thinking of judgment. He's thinking of how God is a consuming fire. Um, I, I don't know that that's, the, that's, that's meant to be the implication of the, the divided tongues here, perhaps. But if anything, what we do know is it's, 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 it reminds you of the, the blazing presence of God. It's almost like the, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have come in any other images. These are the ones. He wouldn't have come in, in any other, with any other signs. These are the signs that tell us something about the God of the Bible, right? Um, they speak so powerfully about the very presence of God. So you, you, just reading that, you know that what, 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 what Luke is telling us is God's presence was among them and it, was, it, it reminded them that this was, this was the God of the Old Testament. Uh, this was that God who appeared before Moses in a burning bush, it's the same God, uh, and 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 all these things to, to, to remind the people of Israel, uh, God's plans have stayed the same. God is God is faithfully fulfilling His promises, and now in the church, in, in the church, uh, you, you see where God finally fulfills those promises. In the birth of the church, God has fulfilled His promises uh, to Abraham. To David and 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 uh, and and Peter's going to go on to say that. it's the fulfillment of promise. Another thing to to see is that actually this takes place in Jerusalem. This takes place among the Jews. In fact, the folks who are speaking these very languages are Jewish themselves. Uh, there's something unique, right, about how God makes promises to Israel in the Old Testament, 
And, and when it comes to the first sign of the birth of the church, God continues to address those same Jewish people to remind them uh, that, now of course, the rest of Acts is going to show us that it spreads far and wide to all the Gentiles, but again, it's a fulfillment of promise to, to, to keep close in our minds the fact that this is the same God working right through. And so, this is, the, this is like the final act that Jesus Christ performs to usher in the age of the Spirit. It's the final act he performs because this is Christ pouring out his spirit before he returns. And so you can say, should we be expecting to see these signs again? Should we expect Pentecost to be repeated like this? Not if we see it for what it is, an act of fulfillment. Something is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Something comes to pass on the day of Pentecost. That, that's why no other, no other passages in the book of Acts speak of the Spirit coming with the signs of, of fire. That's why no other passages in the book of Acts speak of the Spirit coming with a violent rushing wind. There are tongues at different points, but there are also points when there's no tongues. There's something unique about what's going on in Pentecost here. And, and so one of the big errors we can make would be to simply say, well, let's pray for these things to happen again. We, 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 we've, we're missing the point if we focus on that. We're missing the point if we then say, oh, from this passage, what this proves is that when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be baptized, you, you, sorry, when the Spirit comes upon you, you speak in tongues. You're missing the point there because uh, what, what Luke is, is, is concerned with something else. Luke is concerned with telling you how Jesus Christ, how, how God fulfilled his promises in Jesus Christ. He's concerned to reassure the church that the church is a place where God is fulfilling his promises. What we gain from looking at the book of Pentecost there is that we see that the church is a place where God has poured out his spirit and from here on the church will be empowered to fulfill its mission before Christ returns, right? The God who fulfilled his promise in pouring out his spirit will fulfill his promise in coming back again. So we read Acts chapter two and we, Luke is reassuring us that God fulfilled his promise to empower the church. Now they can go. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts. From chapter two, after chapter two, in fact, after, after verse 13, what we see is the church going. After verse, uh, after verse 13, we see the church, we, we see Peter standing up boldly, proclaiming the things of God. God has poured out his spirit upon the church. Now the church can go. God has poured out his spirit upon the church. The, now the last days have arrived. The existence of, a ch of the church today is, is always a reminder to the world that the next thing on God's agenda is the coming of his son. That's what Pentecost should do to us. It should remind us that God has fulfilled his promises in the church. It should remind us to take stock of what the church is. The great promise of the spirit being with us and now we prepare for the consummation of God's promises. 
So that's the first thing to see, is God is fulfilling his promises. The other thing to see, quite obviously though, about the passage, and we must be careful not to deny, is that it was something supernatural. Luke is really a historian. You know, sometimes folks think of the genre. What, what genre is, is the book of Luke? And people say, is it history? People say, is it a travel vlog? And some people, have, people say, is it a novel? You read Luke very well, and what's clear is his, he's a historian. Um, um, but New Testament professors and scholars tell us that when you compare Luke's writing with, the, with the, the writings of his day, say for example the novels of his day, you have nothing like the fanciful uh, exaggerations that you have in, in those ancient epics. You have nothing like that in the book of Luke. This is clearly a serious historian, a man who's doing research, a man who's doing his best to uh, reveal and, 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 and reflect the facts just as he saw them. A man who's given eyewitness, eyewitness accounts and so on and so forth. This is, this is the kind of man we're dealing with. And yet, in such a book, Luke is not afraid to say, they were gathered in one place, from heaven came a wind. Right? They were gathered in one place, fire starts, starts to appear on every individual's head, as it were. They were gathered in one place, they start to miraculously speak um, these these, these uh, languages that he never learned. And as I said earlier, the, the fact that he, his imprecision is a way of drawing you to the mystery. It is like a fire. It is like a wind. Because this is something supernatural. There's a lot of mystery to it, but I know it's from heaven. I know God moved. And so we have to be very careful there then, because whilst we affirm, we say, as I said earlier, there's something unique about Pentecost. Pentecost fulfills a promise, and in many ways, those things are never to be, cannot, will not be repeated, and so we should not be, um, uh, we, we should not be uh, aghast when we come to church and there's no, no fires on your head. There's, when we cry out, when, I, when we pray for the outpouring of the Spirit, and you don't feel a wind, there's no wind that comes in, don't say, oh, maybe God is not heard our prayers yet, right? There's something unique about Pentecost, but we must not go to the other extreme and deny that the church was birthed supernaturally. It came from heaven. Before they could move out, it had to come from heaven. God had to move. God had to move, and, and the people mocked it then, in the end. The people said they're drunk. So, 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 so the idea that it's only a modern thing or it's a thing of, um, of, of polished, civilized man to, to, to mock religion or to mock a move of God, to mock your belief in prayer, to mock the fact that you're crying out to God for salvation is a, is, is a lie. Folks have always, there's always been mockers. The Bible says that. They mocked the supernatural then. These guys are drunk. No, our, 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 our religion is a supernatural and our faith is a supernatural one. We, we do believe that God moves. Uh, even though it's not something they worked up. There's a, there's a sovereignty to this supernaturalness. They, they, the, the people, the, the, the disciples didn't even know what to expect and how the spirit would come. You don't, you don't read that there were prayer points for God to come like a rushing wind. You don't read that there were prayer points for there to be fires. You, you don't, there wasn't even prayer points for tongues. They didn't pray about tongues. They didn't work this up. 
It's not for them to determine the phenomena that attended the coming of the Spirit. But they were just promised that the Spirit would come. And the Spirit that came supernaturally upon the people, the, the first church, is the Spirit that continues to be at work among them, that continues to be among us. Um, I think our hymn writers are on the ball when they, when they, when they continue to, when, when they continue to use those images in song, praying for the Lord to continue to move among us like a, a violent wind, like a rushing wind, praying for, uh, for, 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 for the Spirit to continue to set our hearts ablaze or to give us tongues of fire that preach the reconciling word. We have to be careful to not act as though we can dictate or pray for phenomena. We, we, should, we, we shouldn't be praying for, for winds to blow, but we should definitely be aware that the spirit that is among the church is a, is a spirit of supernatural power. He has supernatural power. That's a strength in which we do our labors. It's in the, it's in the strength of the spirit of God. Do we believe in God's Holy Spirit among us and his power, his power to move? That's another thing that the images are showing us, that God is powerful. He's a violent wind. He's a fire. It fills the place. He takes over them. The people have no, there's a sense in which they can't resist him. Sometimes theologians have called the way in which God works in the heart of a sinner, they call it irresistible grace because that's what God's power is like. Do we, do we believe that? That, that, that? that when God decides to move, if God's spirit decides to move, his power is irresistible. The greatest preacher of them all doesn't have irresistible powers of persuasion. Right? People can hear the finest preachers. The fine, people have heard the best preachers in the world and still not been saved. Our God has irresistible power. God's spirit has irresistible power. Do we do, we, do we do the Christian life that way? Do we do church that way? Sometimes everything we do as, as a church, as, as, as churches, is, just, is cloaked in doubt. Doubt and, and anxiety and fear. And we're, we're best at being analysts. We analyze everything. Oh, the way the world is looking today, the church is going to be... Oh, the way people are speaking today, that's all we do, we analyze. And no one would think that that spirit that came at Pentecost is the same spirit that's among us. If we truly believe that, would we be afraid? Would we not be more courageous than we, claim, than, than we, are, than we often are? If we truly believe that this spirit of supernatural power was among us, why would we, would we be moved by, 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 by human beings, by men and women of clay, they, 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 they're just human, we're just human. I was saying that to someone today, I said, I said just, I, I was talking about a, a kind of obstinate fellow, someone who was not budging over something, they, they didn't know what to do, the person really wasn't, and I said, you know, do this and you know, try and be, I said, but pray. That person's just a man. He might, he might swear he would never change his mind. He promises he's going to be stubborn. Promises he's going to, he's just a person. Just a human being. 
Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. The heart of the king is in his hands. Do we believe that for the labors of the church? Do we believe that for the gospel? Do we believe that for, uh, our, 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 uh, for, for each other and when, we, when we're concerned for each other's um, well-being and spiritual growth and so on? Do we believe in the power of the spirit? But that's what Luke, what Luke would have us read here. Read how your church was birthed, if you want, in the supernatural. The third thing, then, is it was missional. The Spirit came in and moved them out. Right? He didn't just fill them with tongues and to be speaking among themselves, like, like, like folks do with tongues today. In fact, Paul was so concerned that folks wouldn't do that that he said, if none of you can interpret the tongue, don't speak it. It's a gift of the Spirit, but don't even use it. Because God doesn't give you this thing for you to contain it. He wants you to move it out. In fact, Paul says that the purpose of tongues was, is not, for, is not for, 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 for the believers, as it were. It's for, for, the, for, for the unbeliever, for Jewish unbelievers, to hear the truth, to see the, the mystery of the gospel in, in the way God is moving amongst the Gentiles and so on. But that's exactly what happens here, right? They, they, the Spirit moves in, and straight away he's moving them out. The Spirit moves in and he's preparing them to go out. He gives them words to speak. But the words to speak are not in their own languages. They're in the languages of, it's a microcosm of the world, microscopically. So basically, in, 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 in Luke's mind, in his own, in, in the time when, when, when Luke is writing, he knows that the sign points to God saying, speak to the whole world. So, so this is not a geographical statement. Luke is not actually um, thinking that, you know, this covers the entire world. But, but at that time, in the varied number of languages, this is like a word to the whole world. That's what the sign means anyway. God is going to make his gospel known to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus Christ said. And so they're speaking these other languages, all these other languages. The, the gospel is not just going to be in Israel. The, the gospel is not just the gospel for the Jews, for the Gentile, Gentile as well now. And so the Spirit gives them the ability to speak that way. He gives them the utterance of other languages so that they would know that God is concerned for worldwide dominion. God is concerned to make his son known all around the world. God is saving people from every part of the, of the earth. He's calling people into his kingdom from everywhere in the world. They're, they're missional. When the spirit is present in the church, they become equipped and energized to reach out to the world around them. Crucially, speaking in tongues is the way by which the Bible says they are, verse 11, proclaiming the mighty works of God. It's reminiscent of, 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 of the language of the Old Testament Psalms. In the Old Testament, God's people would try and win the nations and their pagans, their pa- who worship pagans, would try and win them to the true and living God by telling them about his mighty deeds. Come and worship our God. He parted the Red Sea. 
Come and worship our God. He drowned Pharaoh and his minions. Come and worship our God. He formed the heavens and the earth. Come and worship our God. He sustains the skies. He sustains the stars in their spaces. Come and worship our God. He has no physical ears. He has no physical eyes, but he hears and sees everything. Come and worship our God. They they would proclaim his mighty works. And... So, so it's a language of evangelizing. But, I, but, but, but without a shadow of a doubt, what they, were, what they were proclaiming is that God had made salvation possible for all men. They were proclaiming that, come and worship our God. He has made a way where there seemed to be no way by providing the only sacrifice for sin. Come and worship our God. By dying, he has broken the bands of death. Come and worship our God. In his cross, he has overcome Satan, and he's risen forever to give eternal life to those who believe. Come and worship our God. Turn from your idols. Turn from your wasted years. Turn from your sinfulness. Come and worship our God. He has poured out his Holy Spirit who gives us a new nature. Come and worship our God. He has promised us an eternal inheritance. Come and worship our God. He never leaves nor forsakes us. Come and worship our God. Though your sins were as, 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 as red as crimson, he will make you white as snow. Come and worship our God. Even if the whole world has rejected you and said there's no hope for you, he's able to redeem you. Come and worship our God. They proclaim the mighty deeds of God. There's no one like this God. There's no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. And outside of Jesus, there's no hope. Outside of Jesus, there's destruction. Now, they did this even though some of the people mocked. There's always going to be that. Others mocking and said they're just filled with new wine. How ironic. Yeah, this was new wine, but not the kind that got you drunk. It was the wine of the Spirit that filled you with the joy of the Lord. Jesus, the Spirit moved in this church to send them out and... What are we to see from this? From the very beginning, the words of Christ, the commandments of Christ to his church had been being fulfilled. Go to the nations, make disciples of them. From the very beginning, friends, I, I have no doubt that what we can say from, these, from, that, from, from, that, from, 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 from the, the presence of tongues in the church there, is that God has a plan for us to reach the nations. God has a plan for us to share the gospel, to tell the world about the gospel. Oh, friends, what a shame is it, shame it is that we are often so, we're so hesitant to speak about this gospel. We we're so afraid of the philosophies of this world, so afraid of the scientists and and, and, and so afraid of, of, of popular culture and how they explain life and the way we explain life, they're gonna laugh at it. You know, look at how they're talking about life. If I tell them about how I see life, how the gospel, if I tell them about the gospel, it's gonna, they're gonna mock it. Who's gonna believe in what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters, why are we, why, why, why are we stuttering so much? Why do we stumble at our words? Why, 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 why are our words held back so much? Why are we so hesitant? 
It must be, can it be that we're not filled with the, with the spirit who gives, who gives utterance, who allows us to speak? Are we not relying on the Holy Spirit who, 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 who can cause us to burn so brightly that we have, we, we burn from within so brightly that we have no choice but to shine the light of Christ? They spoke the things of God and in, in one sense there, you, 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 get the, you probably get the, 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 the purpose of the gift of tongues for the church. It, it wasn't ultimately a gift for you to exercise your, your, your strength, you know, to, to, for you to make yourself spiritually strong. You go home and you speak in tongues for two hours so you can be spiritually energized. I don't think so. It, it was a unique gift to, to, tongues literally just meant languages. The unique gift to demonstrate that God was making his gospel known through to all nations. Uh, I close by saying this. When we read those verses, we see that Luke's account of, of Pentecost. And what we see, friends, is, as I said, that the church is the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ Jesus. The, the very church, if we're, we're here tonight, we belong to the church. We belong to Hackney Evangelical Reformed Church and there's local churches around us. Everywhere there's a local church, confessing the name of Jesus Christ, um, what you have there is how God is fulfilling his promises in Christ Jesus to pour out the power of his spirit so that his son may be glorified. But we're seeing that. In one sense, I want to say to you, there's, there's, no place you need, there's no place else you need to be. Oh, so sad. You keep on feeling unfulfilled and you belong to the church. We're so blind. You keep on feeling like, like you, you're, you, you, you swear you're lost. You swear you don't have purpose, but you belong to the church. This is the one thing you can be sure of in this world. The church. Is, is, this is the one place you can be sure. You can be certain because it's in the church, it's to the church that God has made promises in Christ Jesus and those promises are yes. And amen. God has made promises to the church of the outpouring of his spirit. If, you're, if you belong to God's church tonight, you're, you're, you're right in the center of his will. You're right in his heart. You, are the, you, are, you belong to the body of Christ. You, 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 are, you are set for life. You are, it is well with your soul. But if we believe that, then we will we'll go forth with the message of Christ. That's what we see here as well. If you truly believe that God is fulfilling his promises by pouring out and has poured out his spirit, then also there's always gonna be that missional element to us. We'll go forth with the message of Christ. We'll go forth and declare the mighty deeds of God that he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen.